Satan had desired to have him and to sift him like wheat. And he would have been destroyed had not Jesus prayed for him that his faith would not utterly fail. Luke 22, 31. Had Jesus not reinstated Peter in John 21 with the charge that he feed his sheep, Peter's life would have been completely ineffective for the advance of the kingdom. How many of us are sleeping when we should be praying not to enter temptation? When was the last time that you prayed for protection? That the Lord would protect you from temptation and deliver you from evil? Or are you again, like Peter, foolishly self-confident? <coughs> As we come to this sixth petition in, in this model prayer, what, what we're, we're really seeing is, again, not that we need to specifically pray these words, but to pray these principles. Jesus is giving in this model prayer the, the framework from which we should order and organize our prayers. And, and not all of your prayers need to be organized according to this model prayer, but this model prayer provides a very suitable and effective way for you to organize your prayer life. Matthew 6.13, Jesus teaches us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This petition, like all prayer, is an expression of complete and total dependence on God. When we pray this petition, we are recognizing our spiritual vulnerability and we're crying out to our Heavenly Father for help. Though some think that verse 13 is actually two separate petitions, a prayer to avoid temptation on the one hand and a prayer for deliverance from evil on the other, it's actually one. And you can see this from the conjunction, but... Jesus says, Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you see these conjunctions, these joining words in the Bible, they're, they're very, very important because they tell us how the different phrases fit together and how they, they, um, how they help us to understand what the passage is actually saying. So Jesus is, is linking these two thoughts together. The, the second half actually intensifies and amplifies the first half of the petition. There's another, there's another conjunction while I'm talking about grammar. There's another conjunction there at the beginning of verse 13. And, Jesus says, and lead us not into, into, into temptation. There's another conjunction at the beginning of verse 12. And what, what, what we're being taught here, as this prayer in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, and then the second petition to, for forgiveness, and this third petition for protection, that these all fit together. That they're all, in fact, this whole prayer is meant to be daily prayer. We talked about last week, as your, your hunger comes back every day. Or two weeks ago, your, your hum, hunger comes back every day. So, so you need to pray every day, Lord, give us our daily bread. And by that, we're praying that, that God would give us everything that we need. And the second is, is the, the second one of these, these petitions, is forgive us our debts. And because just as your hunger comes back every day, so does your sin. And people sin against you every day, so you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to ask that you would be forgiven for your sins, and you need to ask that God would help you to forgive them for theirs. 
Just like your hunger and your sin come back every day, so does temptation. So does temptation. So you need to pray every day. Lord, as, as, as I'm going into this day, I'm going to be in this environment or that environment, and I know that I'm likely to be tempted in, in this particular area. Lord, would you please help me to stand firm? Would you help me not to completely to, to, to succumb to that temptation? Help me to honor you. Help me not to fall. Also, in the, the second half, it's a, it's a prayer. Lord, please deliver me from evil. Deliver me specifically from, from the evil one, from the, the, the forces of the enemy. I would seek to destroy my soul. You need to pray these things every day. But as we look at this first half of the petition, I need to deal with a question that I'm sure some of you have had in the text. It's the question we just spoke about with the children. Since we know that God doesn't tempt anyone, why do we need to pray that God would not lead us into temptation? You're probably here thinking of James 1.13. If you please turn with me there in your Bible to, uh, to James 1.13. James says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we understand that God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. But we also need to understand, as I explained to the kids, that the, the word that's translated temptation in, here in, in James, and, and also in Matthew 6.13 are they going to the same Greek word? This, 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 this word temptation. But if you look back at verse 12, it reads, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now here, that same word that has been translated temptation in other places is translated trial. Trial. It's the same word, the same Greek word that's used in verse 13. James 1, 2, and 3 is the same. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Again, that word that's translated trials is, is the same word that's translated temptation. So this might be leading you to another question. If, if James is telling us here to have joy, to count it all joy when we enter into trials, why should we pray that we not enter into trials or temptations? Well, it really comes down to having a correct understanding of the word. Theologian John Doms provides three insights that will help us to resolve the, the difficulties here. He says, we need to understand that the petition is not referred to temptation in the modern sense of the word. It is not to be understood as merely referring to enticement to evil, but hear this, fundamentally, fundamentally it has to do with hard testing, albeit with the intimation that such testing is by means of enticement, enticement to evil. Second, he acknowledges that there can be actually benefit from testing, so it's appropriate that God is involved in the process. And then third, the petition, the petition speaks not merely of temptation, 
but of temptation which results in fall. So the prayer then is not a desire that is expressed to so much to escape from trials, but the ability to be victorious when one experiences it. So let me unpack that a little bit for you. First of all, this word temptation, this word temptation is best understood as testing or as trial. And so you need to understand that, that those words have the same range of meaning. But you need to look at the context in order to understand what is actually being said here. Second, tests and trials can be good. And they come from God. And we see, we see these, these tests all through the scripture where, where God tests his people. But God is never, when he tests his people, he is never tempting them to sin. God is never tempting them to sin. He's never enticing them to do evil. And third, when we pray this petition, we are praying ultimately to avoid sin. More than that we are, are praying to avoid the trial itself. MacArthur says essentially the same thing. He says, in this prayer, the word should be translated trial. He concludes that we're essentially praying, Lord, don't lead us into a trial that will, that will present to us a temptation such that we will not be able to resist it. And Sproul says it, says it like this. He says that we're saying to God, do not lead us into the place of testing. Jesus is saying that we should pray that the Father will never cause us to undergo a severe test of our faith or our obedience. Calvin said, we ask that the Lord would not cause us to be thrown down or to suffer us to be overwhelmed by temptations. So I hope that helps you to understand a little bit better what you're praying when you pray this sixth petition. God does not, will not, ever tempt his children to sin, but he does, however, test his children. Think about, about Abraham. In, in Genesis 22, the, the children spoke of, of those who we think of, uh, of Judas, who, who was tested and fell away. He proved by his failure, by his abject failure to, to love and honor the Lord. In fact, his, his betrayal of the Lord, he proved that he was not and never was a child of God. But Abraham, on the other hand, when, when Abraham was tested, he came out on the other side refined. In Genesis 2, we, we see Abraham tested severely. Please turn with me in your, will, in your Bible back to, to Genesis 22. Look at that first verse. After these things, God tested Abraham. Now, let's stop there for a second. That word that's, that's translated there, tested, in your Bible, if you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the same word that's, that's translated as temptation in, in Matthew chapter 6. And as, as tempts in, in Matthew, or in uh, James 1.13, and as trial in, in James 1.2, and in James 1.12. It's the same word. So God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God tested Abraham. And many of us here are parents. 
who would shudder to think that God would ever command such a thing. But with Abraham, the stakes were even higher. Because as much as, as he loved Isaac as his son, then there was more involved than, 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 than even the, the horror of killing your own son. What was involved here was also the, the sacrifice, not, not just of, of this miraculous gift, but of the promise of descendants. God had promised Abraham that through his seed, through Isaac, that Abraham would become the father of many nations, that his, his people would be as many as the, the stars of the, of the heavens and the sand of the seashore. And so Abraham, this, this wasn't just the, the, the killing of his son, as, as horrific as that would have been, but it's, but it's even more than that, it's about whether God is going to be faithful to his promises. Now when God tested Abraham in this way, the question for us is, is, if you read this for the first time, it's like, what is Abraham going to do? If you've never heard this story before, you wonder, what is Abraham going to do? Now, of course, for the omniscient God, the result was never in any doubt. He knew that, that Abraham was going to remain obedient, and, and God knew that he was going to stop Abraham as, as, as he was about to plunge the knife into the heart of his son. God was testing Abraham to prove him, to reveal what was genuine, that he was genuine. It was also to refine him, as gold is refined in the fire. If you remember a couple of years ago, from Malachi, when we preached through Malachi, I, I talked about the way that the, the goldsmith will, will, will heat up the, the gold on a, on a smelter, and then the impurities in the gold will, will rise to the surface, and then the, the the, the goldsmith will skim off the, the, the impurities off the top of the gold, and then he'll, he'll heat it up again, and more impurities will, will be revealed at the, at the surface. So keep skimming them off and keep revealing this, keep going through this process until the, the, the goldsmith looks in the surface of that gold and sees the reflection of his face. Brothers and sisters, that is exactly what our Lord is doing in the trials and, and tests of your life. He is heating you up so that the impurities come to the surface and can be skimmed off until he sees his own face reflected in you. So there is a value in, in these tests. There is a value in, in these trials. Because we understand that the sovereign God, our Heavenly Father, is bringing us into these trials to make us more like Christ. Friends, if anybody tells you that suffering is not a part of your Christian life, they do not understand and know the Bible. Suffering is an integral part of what it means to be a Christian. This is true all through the scriptures. We saw this in, in James 1. You can see it in, in Romans 5 and in 1 Peter 1. Suffering is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. means to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God will tempt you, or God will, will tempt you in the sense 
of not enticing you to sin, but he will, will do this in the sense of, of putting you through a trial to test you and to reveal to you what is in your heart. To sanctify you. To make you more like his son. So when you, you pray this petition, you're praying that this test, or this temptation will not be an occasion for you to sin. R.C. Sproul summarizes like this. He says, Jesus showed us that we are to ask the Father to spare us from the temptations and spiritual attacks that can lead us into new sin. It's the cry of our heart that, that hates sin. And it doesn't want to do anything to dishonor God. Because for the heart that truly loves God, the thought of sinning against Him is abhorrent. It's abhorrent. We, we want to avoid sin at all costs. And so we pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And to that I would add that the, the, it's the natural cry of our humanity that doesn't like pain. We, we don't enjoy trials. We, when we suffer, we, we don't revel in it. But as we mature in Christ, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our trials, knowing that the trials will result in our refining. But this is about our sanctification, as in James 1. Because we know that God is working all things together for our good and for His glory. By His grace, we give Him thanks in all circumstances, trusting that this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. But again, the, the pain itself it, it is not pleasant. We want to avoid it if possible. So we pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the prayer of a Christian submitted to God's providential will, trusting in God as Father for protection and deliverance. Like the great spiritual by Mahalia Jackson. Lord, don't move that mountain. Give me strength to climb. Lord, don't move my stumbling blocks, but lead me all around. This is the prayer for spiritual strength in the trials of life. This is a prayer for spiritual direction around traps and snares. We're all tempted by three powerful enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. You live in one, one lives in you, and the other lives to destroy you. The world refers to the world system that sets itself up in opposition to God. You can, you can see it in the, the cultural values around us that are diametrically opposed to God and His will. You can see the world also in the, the, the pole of the pleasures of life, many of which are morally neutral, but, but can serve to distract us from loving and serving God. Now you need to recognize the particular temptations for you in the world and pray that the Lord will help you to avoid them. 1 John 2, 16 and 17 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh the eye, and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whatever does the will of God abides forever. So that's the world. The, the flesh refers to your sinful nature. Now, while we were in Christ, our, our new creatures were not yet fully sanctified. 
So there's a daily battle against the desires of the flesh. Think about Romans 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Galatians 5.24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. This is an ongoing daily process. As John Owen warned, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Again, you need to recognize the ways that you are likely to be tempted. So what are the ways that, that you personally are likely to be tempted by your flesh? Anger? Lust? Fear? Pride? Greed? Laziness? Apathy? Selfishness? Drunkenness? Unforgiveness? Depression? Guilt, greed, self-confidence, self-righteousness. All of these, these sins, all of these, these are, are ways that, that we are, are likely to be tempted by our flesh. And, and you probably can, can take yes to one or many of these on that list. There won't be just one. You need to know your flesh. And so as you reflect on your life, Think about the ways that you've fallen in the past. Those are very likely the ways you're going to be tempted in the future. Now that doesn't mean that, that there's not going to be some new temptation that's, that's going to come in, in the future, but, but if you look back on the tra trajectory of, of your life, the direction of your life, and, and specifically where you've been tempted more recently and fallen more recently, very likely that's going to come again. You need to know. You need to flee from that temptation. You need to pray specifically about the area or the areas you are likely to be tempted. You need to memorize Bible passages that deal with that sin specifically. You need to pray them to the Lord. You need to preach them to yourself. You need to avoid those areas where you are likely to be tempted. For me, especially as a new believer, it was foolishness for me to, to go to parties with my old friends where, where people are getting drunk and getting high. Foolishness for, for me to go to bars. What are the temptations that, that you face? Pornography is a huge plague in, in our culture. And, and I know the statistics on it, and I know that it's very likely a plague even in this very church. Single people, you need to be very careful not to be alone in compromising situations with a member of the opposite sex. Because you're putting yourself in the way of temptation. You need to not trust your flesh. If you give your flesh an inch, it will take a mile. In a relatively short time, the seven years that I've been a pastor, 
I've seen so many times people in my study dealing with sin. They never thought, they never planned that they were going to sin. But they didn't plan to protect themselves from sin. And they fell again and again and again. With this third enemy, the devil, we're now going to, to move into the second half of the petition. This is a little more straightforward, so it won't take as much time. <coughs> but deliver us from evil. So you're asking the Lord to protect you, to, to keep you from evil. And again, this amplifies the first half of the petition. There will likely be a footnote in your Bible that says the evil one. So this, this can refer to specifically to Satan or to evil in general. But, but I believe that, that given the, the grammar here, that the evil one is, is actually more likely. But let's look at evil in general first. For, it's, it's certainly not too wrong to pray that we would be delivered from evil. All evil must be avoided. I hope that's self-evident. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from every form of evil. Avoid it. Run from it. If you were to go hiking and find a venomous snake on the path, you wouldn't get up close to the snake and poke it. It'd be foolish. But I, I'm ashamed to admit that there was a time that, 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 that I was that foolish. I was hiking with some friends and, and I sat on a, on a rock wall and I saw in one of the cracks in the rock wall a, a red-bellied black snake. And if, if you know your, your venomous snakes, it's, it's one of the top ten. And I, as I looked at the crack, I, I could see its tail and then, and then I looked and I, at another crack and I saw, I saw a head. So I thought, okay, well, it's in this rock wall. There's no way this, this snake is going to be able to turn around and bite me. So I poked it in the tail. Foolish. Then I looked a little bit closer. There was another head. Another snake, or, or the head of that snake, right by where my finger was. Now, I didn't get bitten. It's entirely by God's mercy. But I was being foolish. I was poking a venomous snake. When you play with sin, you are poking something far more dangerous than a venomous snake. A venomous snake can kill you. Sin can send you to hell. The fight of faith is the fight against sin in all its forms. Against all evil. Now let's look specifically at Satan. For behind everything and every evil, there stands a greater evil, the devil himself. Most often, that's what the New Testament is, is speaking when he, uh, when he, when he speaks of, of the evil one. He's referring, to, he's referring to Satan. Now, some people focus on Satan too much. Others, not enough. Some see a demon under every bush, and others ignore his presence altogether. Some can inadvertently give Satan glory and give him too much credit. You can't say that the devil made me do it. He is not omnipotent. Christians, Satan does not control you. The devil cannot read your mind. The devil doesn't know the future. 
but ignoring him is just as dangerous. He can't control you, but he is powerful. He can't read your mind. He doesn't know the future, but he is cunning. He has been doing this effectively since the Garden of Eden. And he knows where people are weak. Okay, now Satan is not, is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. There's only one Satan. But he has demons, fallen angels throughout the earth watching everything, watching you personally, knowing your weaknesses, and knowing when you are weakest, biding their time until the attack that is likely to bring about the most destruction in your life and the lives of those around you. The devil is seeking to, to drive a wedge between you and the Lord. He's seeking to dishonor the name of the Lord before the world. He wants to use you to do it. Satan has temptations for every season and every circumstance of life. He has temptations for old age. He has temptations for youth. He has temptations for singleness and for marriage. He has, he has temptations for wealth and for want. He has temptations for sickness, for health for happiness, for sadness, and for everything in between. And so we need to heed the warning of 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan begins, begins as your tempter. Remember, he, he's, he's the deceiver, and, and he, he likes to make sin look good, look appealing, and so he tempts you. And then when you fall, he becomes your accuser. You can see this from, from his designations in the Bible. Satan comes from the word meaning adversary, and devil comes from the word meaning slanderer. So Satan tempts you, and then he accuses you. Revelation 12.10 So when you hear, when you hear those temptations, those accusations, you need to preach Romans 8, 33 and 34 to yourself. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of the throne of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Preach that to yourself. When you hear those accusations, preach the truths of the gospel to yourself. Preach to, when, you, when you hear those things, and, and, I, and I know that you, that you have all at one time or another, maybe even this morning, are hearing those very, tempted, those very accusations. But fellow Christian, you are justified in Christ. No one, not even Satan himself, can bring any charge against you because God is the one who has justified you. The righteous judge has pronounced you not guilty. So preach this truth to yourself. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. We, we preached about this, we preached about this back when we did Ephesians. You need the belt of truth. You need the breastplate of righteousness. You need gospel shoes. You need the shield of faith. You need the helmet of salvation. You need the sword of the spirit, and you need prayer. Need the whole armor of God every single day. We had a rat, we have a rat problem around the, the property and, and in our garage. And I've been setting traps. 
And I, I've killed eight or ten rats just in the past few weeks. Now I'm trying to catch rats. Not birds or squirrels. So I need to use the right kind of bait. I don't want to inadvertently kill a bird in a, in a trap or kill a squirrel in a trap, sorry Vince. But, I, but I'm, I'm trying to, to catch rats and, and I know that squirrels and birds don't like cheese so I use cheese and rats love cheese. That's the, the, the bait that is suited to that particular target. And Satan knows. Satan knows the bait to use to, to hook you, to seek to destroy you. You need to know it yourself so you can seek to protect yourself, so you can seek to pray that God would deliver you from that evil. Temptations will come. They will come. Matthew 8, 7 to 9 says, Woe to the world for the temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. This is a very serious fight that you are in. The fight against Satan. The fight against your sin. The fight against the world. You need to take whatever steps necessary. In biblical counseling circles, this is called radical amputation. Now Jesus is speaking in hyperbole there. He's not saying you, you literally need to cut off your hands or, or gouge out your eyes. Because even if you did, you'd still have the problem in your heart. Try to gouge out your heart, you're in trouble. But you need to do whatever it takes. Friends, if you think that you are strong in a particular area, you're already in big trouble. You're already in big trouble. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul goes on in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's paralleled in 2 Peter 2.9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And to look for the way out. Maybe the way out is not to go in in the first place. Don't even go there. Trials will come, temptations will come, but may it never be because we are playing with evil. James warns us to resist the devil, and he will flee from us in James 4, 7. Well, how do you resist the devil? By the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. That's what our Lord did when he was tempted. When Satan tempted Jesus with half-truths, Jesus responded with whole truths. It is written... Three times Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, and three times Jesus responded, It is written. He replied to Satan's temptation with Scripture. But we need to be aware of something here. Christian, you are not to rebuke Satan personally. 
Zechariah 3.2, we, we see that it is the Lord rebuked Satan. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Even Michael, one of the most mighty angels, did not presume to accuse Satan, but rather said, the Lord rebuke you, Jude 1.9. If a child is being confronted by a bully, and the, the child's father is standing there right next to him, He's not going to go and, and stand up to, to that bully himself. Well, why would he? His father is right there. He's going to say, Dad, help. But you know, even before the child is there, the father sees everything, is, is going to, to stand in between and say, you leave my son alone. You do not need to rebuke Satan yourself because the Lord is fighting for you. He is your heavenly Father, and He is standing up for you. Go to Him and find strength to overcome. The entire Godhead is fighting on your side. When Christ was led into, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, Jesus wasn't tempted to be refined. He was the sinless Son of God. He was already perfect. He was tempted for us. He was tempted for you and for me. But his greatest moment of temptation came in the anticipation of the crucifixion, in the face of the suffering that lay before him. We read in Matthew 26, 39, going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Christ passed the test. The cup did not pass. He obeyed his heavenly Father to the very giving up of his life. God tested Abraham by commanding him to sacrifice his son. But God stopped Abraham at the last minute and provided a ram in the thicket as an atonement. When it came to God's own son, he didn't hold back the knife. He plunged the knife of his holy wrath into his holy son. did that for you and for me for every time we don't flee from temptation for every time we embrace the temptation instead of calling out to God the father punished his son for your sins and my sins on the cross brothers and sisters we can flee to Christ we can know that He will help us in our very time of need. Flee to Christ when you are tempted. Flee to Christ if you fall. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. For He, who, for we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need.
Ruth 4, 15, and 16. Let's pray together.